in the darkest worlds that ever were. The only thing that brings light are stories. Those stories are kept in one place. The tiny bookcase. Hello, explorers of the Sacred Library. You're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. I'm Ben. And I'm Nico. And we've got even more stories for you this week. Top notch. We're joined today by someone described by the scrolls as an author and troublemaker. They are the author of the Rift Cycle series, a science fantasy with grim, dark, psychological horror, mental illness, and LGBTQ themes. In their writing, they aim to normalise all aspects of the human experience, while aiming to break stigmas surrounding mental illness, substance abuse, grief, and sexual orientation. We would like to welcome Halo Scott. You guys, thank you so much for having me. That's quite all right. I'm glad you, I'm glad that you're happy to be here. Uh, how has the pandemic been over where you are? Lovely. <laughs> um, <laughs> thankfully, I work from home. So in terms of kind of day to day, little has changed. But I know I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I've had a lot of friends who have been quite affected, unfortunately. Yeah, it can get quite bad. But I'm um, happy to hear that you, you've had a good time. Have you found that it, you've been actually more productive because you work from home? And now there's not even an option to go outside to distract you. <laughs> It, you know, I think I've had focus issues like a lot of people have had um, yeah. because like even though I work from home, some of like our clients are in person and if something affects them, then it's like a trickle down effect. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd say I've gotten some stuff done. <laughs> I don't know if that's productive, but yeah, sure. I've been productive. <laughs> I, w- I would say getting anything done is productive, I think. That's... Yeah, there's plenty who have got no stuff done. So well done. Well done on staying above water. <laughs> I go to work every day, so yay, I'm productive. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really keen to get to the stories, and um, this week we'll be starting off with a story from Nico. Oh, no. Mario Nico, yeah, indeed. Uh, but the prompt is really fun. The prompt this week, chosen by our guest, Halo Scott, is buried treasure. Yeah, there's much I can tell you of March the 7th. I suppose I should ask what year? 2021? 18? 21? Perhaps as far back as 1621? Oh, come now. There's no need to look quite so shocked. Your kind live such short lives, I suppose. To you, the idea of remembering back so far must be... disturbing. You're so frail when it comes to memory, are you not? Tell me, do you remember the name of your childhood best friend? A simple request, no? Now tell me, what was the last game you played with them? What color was their hair? These things become hazy, and with time they vanish into obscurity for you. A comforting lie, you tell yourselves. The power to forget, to let the minutiae bleed into the cracks and become the unremembered. This is our doing, I'm afraid. 
You have a word for us, vampire. Vampire, I believe you would say. An ugly derivation of a noble heritage. You are all obsessed, I must say, with this idea of drinking blood. A foul notion. What could one possibly have to gain from gorging on the sanguine? We have plenty of our own in our veins. Our appetites are far more refined. Your wide-eyed panic is, I must say, delightful, Herr Officer. Let me explain. I owe you nothing, but your fervor has intrigued me. The things that you forget, they are ours. Have you, and of course I am asking rhetorically, spent a night, how would you say, on the town? And come the morning that follows, you remember nothing. You remember perhaps drinking that first draft, and then it becomes murky. You will have encountered one of my kin. It is an easy meal for one of my starving brothers and sisters, then. You accept so freely that you forced yourself into a stupor. You forget those memories with a smile. They bring a sickness to my stomach, such meals. Many of my kin have become bloated and diseased feeding in this manner, but they lack the skill and subtlety to take the finer memories. You have a word. Amnesia, I believe, for people who have lost all that they remember from times before. This I must apologize for. On occasion, a new member in our midst will drain too heavily. I assure you, they are punished most severely for the transgression. It's a delicate balance we strike, and abusing your simple forms like this is an unkindness I would not permit under any circumstances. Our matriarch has called upon me many times to dispatch one of these monsters, which, of course, is how I find myself in your charming little interview room. I digress. I was enlightening you, wasn't I? Yeah, a drunken mischief. It's a poor meal. I have in moments of desperation fed this way, but it is not for satisfaction. It is more like your fast food. It gives some kind of filling to the belly, but no nourishment to the soul, should I believe in such things. Now those fringe memories, they are a fine meal, the pieces that connect your broader memories together. The smell of someone's hair, perhaps, or the exhilaration of your first kiss. Once you humans begin to fornicate, these details become, how do I say, obscured and ripe for removal. Most of your kin will hardly know they've been taken at all. They may, when called upon, become frustrated at the loss, and that won't help them remember. I get this strange feeling sometimes in my stomach, and I do wonder if it's one of you straining to recall a name or, or the lines of a face. There is one taste among all memories that I value above any other, a delight forbidden to many. If the adult mind of the drunkard is a greasy hamburger, this, oh, I can hardly put it into words, this is the artisanal food 
the hand-grown vegetables, the, the aged wine. I speak, of course, of trauma, of pain, the memories you long to forget, that you push deep into your psyche and use them as the foundation for your damaged lives. These buried treasures are ambrosia, my child, though they do hurt your kind so. Frankly, I see what I do in these cases as a favor. If you had been hurt by one you trusted, damaged in both body and mind, would you not want that pain whisked away? Your race can be despicable, regardless of what you make of mine. You produce awful creatures. They lurk in the dark and damage those unable to protect themselves. If you knew but half of the things I have tasted, the evil creeping dread crafted by the hands of your molesters, your abusers, I suppose in your line of work perhaps you do. I am no philanthropist, but I have, on some occasions, taken the memory and the revenge. Oh, come, don't look so confused. If you dipped into the mind of a child and saw there a man who would make of them a puppet, whose depraved acts would destroy all that they are, would you stand by? Your laws perhaps require that you do, but I am bound by no such petty grievances. Like pairing the correct ingredients, you can create a symphony of delight with the correct skills. To find these monsters and drink on their fear, as it happens, is bliss. To tear a throat from its flesh housing and remind a beast what they have done. It is poetic. Uh, <clears throat> yes, where was I? March 7th. Yeah, I was there. And yes, officer, I destroyed the man you ask about. He was one of mine, not yours, so do not weep for the loss. He drank too much. Even as I found him, he howled, crying of the sweet taste of forbidden memories. He begged for mercy. Surely I must understand. In truth, I do. But a lack of self-control is no excuse for performing a terrible deed. This belief at least we have in common. We are the same in truth, you and I. You defend your weak, short-lived allies, and I, mine. It would be devastating to our society if you were to discover our existence, and believe me, it spreads wide. A vascular system coursing around this world. An apt joke, no? So, why would I tell you all of this? Why would I, canary-like, sing of a hidden world and betray my peoples? It is quite simple, I'm afraid. You won't remember a thing. Fuck, dude. That was explosively sinister. That was fantastic. Oh my god. Why is German, as an accent, so sinister? Like, I, I know you're deploying there as like a vampire and all the rest of it, but it's just, immediately I was in. I was just in, straight away. 
when I wrote him, it was it started turning into Mads Mikkelsen when I was writing him. Okay. I really wish I could do Mads' voice. <laughs> oh, he's just, great, yeah. <laughs> phenomenal voice, yeah. He has, you know, he's got that sinister energy where anytime he starts talking, even when he's playing a good guy, you're like, ah, oh, I don't know. He's definitely <laughs> going to murder someone. <laughs> yeah, sinister is the perfect word for it. But uh, I'm glad that read. Yeah, it definitely read. No, came across extremely clearly through what I, I think is a very cool concept. I've not, not encountered that kind of thing before, really. Um, I thought that was it. really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'd say what I've definitely encountered one or two of these fast food vampires in my time. <laughs> Various nights out that I have no memory of would speak to that. It actually, I think part of this concept came from a conversation we had not too long ago, Ben, about me forgetting a good chunk of 2016. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea of, uh, sort of stolen and missing memories has been playing on me recently. Maybe it'll be, maybe this is cathartic. Maybe I'll feel better. Podcasting plus therapy. And he barely charges me anything. <laughs> <laughs> Only in favours. Um... The idea of the stomach straining when somebody's trying to remember something that you've, that you've taken from them was a particularly cool ev evolution of that idea, I thought. That was very exciting. Um, I couldn't tell you. It just felt very visceral and real. Like It felt like a very real reaction to that. Um, yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, and I almost wonder whether all the times that I've failed to remember, you know, when you're in a conversation with someone, and you're trying to remember like an actor's name or a movie's name or a name yeah. of a book or anything like that. All of those have been stolen as well. I don't doubt. Um, it's a weird lunch. thing, the memories. Yeah, they were lunch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on, it does, it's, the human mind just does weird stuff. I think, you know, if we'd started thinking about this a few hundred years ago, maybe we would, this would be a thing that we came up with. Humanity has an excellent way of creating myths and legends to explain away the sort of simple mundanities, don't they? Mm. Yeah, for sure. Doing that. I'm going to make this canon for everyone. Oh. And then they'll all forget. Spread it into the right guys. <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant spin on, you know, vampires or kind of vampiric creatures. I mean, it's been done so many times that, you know, I, I think it's really difficult to come up with something new, but you definitely nailed it. And that was really cool. Um, I liked how the different types of memories kind of like were um, fulfilling in different ways, you yeah. know, like how trauma and stuff. I thought that was really, really cool. And in terms of response to the prompt of buried treasure, um, I, I, I like it when things go a bit lateral. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so this idea of them sort of uh, this particular vigilante vampire seeking and, and digging for, uh, you know, the, the rarer, um, the rarer sustenance was, was a very cool response to the prompt. So nice work, man. I, I enjoyed that. Thank you. Well, we're going to have a professional take a swing at this now. We are indeed. So this this will soon pale. <laughs> oh my god, no. Um, <laughs> I am not a performer at all. <laughs> like, so just full disclaimer. I wish I had Mads Mikkelsen, Mikkelsen's voice, but yeah, no. <laughs> um, the art want... for this episode is just going to be a drawing of Mads Mikkelsen, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that would be lovely. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> 
I'm just on Mads. Have you have you guys seen the um the I think it was called Valhalla Rising movie that he did before he sort of did James Bond and all that before he really broke big. Yes, that uh, movie is awesome. It's 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 like taking mushrooms. It's <laughs> it's a completely wild experience. Uh, and I initially watched that movie. The the art for that movie is like a, a Viking just absolutely giving it during a battle and blood and there's like blood spatters all over the cover and all this sort of stuff. So my friends and I got this movie and we're intending to watch it as part of like a martial arts, like, you know, hyper-violence uh, marathon of movies. And it turns out to be this like really cerebral exploration of Viking culture spreading West with like a, an insane sort of off, off, off your tits mushroom angle. Uh, and it was it was completely unexpected, but that's the first time I saw Mads Mikkelsen or anything, anything. So maybe that's why I find your voice for that particularly sinister, Nick. I had uh, quite a similar experience where I had paired it with Kong Skull Island because of the the art for it. I thought, oh yeah, this would be a good afternoon. Big smashy ape, big smashy Viking. It took a turn. It took oh a boy, turn. did it take a turn! <laughs> and uh, we're going to take our own turn now. So uh, take it away for us, Halo. All right. Well, I, I cannot live up to that reading. I will just full disclaimer, but imagine that I'm speaking with a dark and sinister voice. <laughs> <laughs> Captain John always hated the 18th century. It was dull, lackluster compared to his home time. Nevertheless, he appreciated its simplicity and cruelty. You're new to these waters, a gruff man greeted. With a pained grimace, he eased into a seat across from John, missing more body parts than not. Pity. If he'd been born a few centuries later, they could have been regrown. I'm Captain Kidd. They shake hands, test each other's strength. The council doesn't take kindly to strangers. You're lucky you weren't shot. Luck wasn't a factor. 28th century technology was. Let's keep that secret, though. John's mission was delicate, and this was a fearful time full of nooses, gallows, and planks. John adjusted his bandana and smoothed his tunic. Primitive wear, but comfortable at least. Not at all like the portable torture device known as the corset. The men burned them in his time for fun. Lucky indeed, John said. He rested his elbows on the scratched wooden table and glanced out the grimy window at the turquoise Caribbean. White sand beaches ringed Tortuga, and a blushing sun beckoned him to dance. But he was on the clock, a clock that ran in all directions. They say you're a pirate, Captain Kidd said. But what do you say? I am a pirate, Captain John said. And he was, a time-traveling pirate with a temporal ship. Kidd lit a candle and raised it to John's face, scanning his costume for cracks. You do look like one, but something's off. Something was. John was too clean. He asked wardrobe for more dirt, but marketing declined. Too expensive. Insurance wouldn't cover the germ liability. Kid leaned back, then set the candle between them on the table. Anyway, he said, I'm looking for something, and I think you know where it is. What a coincidence, John said, because I'm looking for something, too. He surveyed the tiny room. Few options for escape without making a mess, but he'd dug himself out of worse pits before. No offense, mate, but you're in no position to barter, Kid said. I agree, John said. I'm in no position to barter, but I'm in a great position to demand. Confusion wrinkled Kid's brow. If you want to lose a few fingers, then by all means, continue down this path. John ignored him. You're looking for buried treasure. 
Well, so am I. But I'm the one who buried it. Here, now, back in time. When the future revolted, he hid his gold in the past. But it wasn't regular gold. It wasn't bright or shiny or soft. This gold was dark as death, a black gold from the depths of time. There was a power tied to it, a force some would call magic. John didn't believe in such nonsense, but those who chased him did. Listen, Captain, it said with an eye roll. It's almost dinner. My missus hates when I'm late, and blood's a pain to wash off before a meal. So just tell me where it is, and I'll let you go free. Sure, John said to Kid's suspicion. It's in this room. That's why I'm here. To get caught, then brought to a lonely cell. No one could hear them scream. But who would be screaming had yet to be determined. I don't understand, Kid said. The treasure chest is in this room, John said. But where is it buried? Pause. A smirk. Inside you. Realization dawned on Kid's leathery face as John capsized the table. The end pinned Kid to the floor, and John pressed down till he heard a spine crack. Paralyzed from the waist down, Kid scrambled with his arms for a weapon. But John broke both his wrists with a couple stomps. Removing the table, John started his work as Kid watched with impotent horror. Sorry about this, mate, John said with a slice. Wrong place, wrong time. He tore open Kid's tunic and slashed his gut thrice. Skin flowered open like pulpy petals as blood flooded the floor. John reached inside the cavity and dug around while Kid shrieked. You wouldn't want this anyway, John continued as he searched. Or coated his forearms and flesh squelched in reply. It's more trouble than it's worth. Always disappearing, popping into bathrooms. You've no idea how many toilets I've plunged. And there, come here you old fuck. John ripped himself free, prize in his palms. It was a one-inch box, unassuming yet significant. Kid paled on the ground, shrieks replaced by death's rattle. Well, I best be off, John said. Sorry for the bother. I'll send someone to find you, bury you proper. Don't worry, though, you aren't missing much. Shit time all around. Anyway, cheers. See you on the flip side. Kid faded while John pocketed the miniature treasure chest and broke the window. His ship, the Grudge, would wait a few more minutes, but she had a stubborn temper and a fiery vengeance. Often, she'd abandoned him in tumultuous centuries or roaring decades if she felt he'd moored her too long. So with a backward glance at Kid's mushy corpse, Captain John waved the 18th century adieu, then leaped out the window. Till next time, Kid, John said. And there would be a next time, but for Kid, it was a before time, whereas for John, it was an after time. Silly strands of temporal lines always tangled in the seams. I really like pirates, uh, so I did. I dug that a lot. I dug that a lot. Um, William Kidd was a, an, an interesting way to go with it as well. I like that. Um, yeah, I'm a sucker for pirates. <laughs> yeah, uh, the description of the um, the sea around Tortuga as well. I could I could basically smell it. I really enjoyed that. I was about to say something very similar about the descriptions of the gore. I could basically smell it. <laughs> oh yeah, there was that. The, uh, there was a line, uh, the skin flowered open, and that's delightfully, like, it's almost, almost, be almost beautiful, but intensely horrible. <laughs> uh, Thank you. I, I like intensely gory, beautiful horror. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it reminded me a lot of, um, like, to the description of, like, the suddenness of the violence and, and how, like, um, intense the descriptions were of, the, of what was happening to this 
person that couldn't really fight back. It reminded me quite a lot of um, the way that um, the author Joe Abercrombie describes fights. Um, I don't know if you've encountered um, Abercrombie at all, but he he, he also oh, yeah, the wrote... blade himself. That's it. Yeah, uh, the um, he also wrote Scrimdark similarly, um, and uh, yeah, so it had that real that real tone sort of thrust through it like a saber. I think. Oh, thank um, you so much. Very nice. Um, have you seen um i mean i kind of tried to go off of um black sails is oh it's amazing i, I have seen black sails and i have to say that i'm a big fan of hurdy-gurdies as well uh <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a goddamn hurdy-gurdy household i'll tell you right now <laughs> i didn't know what they were until that um that show and yes. now now i'm obsessed yeah <laughs> uh, i'm fairly sure i listened to the tune parsons farewell on a loop for about a year <laughs> after i watched it for the first time and i only uh, check ebay for hurdy-gurdies like once a day so <laughs> only once fine. see yeah once. i'm cutting down so we can it's fairly safe to imagine that um captain flint is somewhere off on the horizon of tortuga then in that story oh uh, yeah waving you know trying to well i i don't want to yeah. yeah no yeah, spoilers less, sorry <laughs> less, less of a waving type i think um the uh, the line um, "gold from the depths of time," I think it was, um, I thought was particularly cool because it was, it that's often a way that people use to describe hell. Um, oh yeah, well I, I like my uh, my darkness. I guess. Yeah, so there's this sort of idea, this this um, time pirate, sort of uh, ripping backwards and forth across the centuries, and I think you said roaring decades at one point, which is a really cool turn of phrase as well. Um, but sort of sees where they're coming from in terms of their time as as hell was was really cool. Um, it's like and if it, the master took over Doctor Who, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and then turned the TARDIS into a big pirate ship. Exactly. See, yeah. now you're talking my language. Let's, <laughs> let's get on it. BBC, uh, assume whoever commissions the BBC now is listening, <laughs> along with <laughs> Vin Diesel and who did we decide yes. last time? Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt, Matt Damon, yeah, Matt Damon's a, a hell of a listenership. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just cast both of them in it. That's fine. We've got you back, guys. But yeah, if we can, if we can have pirate ship master Doctor Who series, that'd be, be great. Done. That's I our one. Right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also would like to note the uh, the burning of corsets for fun sounded pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much for your story, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Thank I you guys so much. That's uh, quite alright. I think I will now be stepping up to the plate. Um, you will. No man difficult. survives for long, Ben. Difficult <laughs> <laughs> to follow those two, I feel. But uh, I'll, I'll have a crack. Unearth your treasure, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Buried treasure. Hugo poked the thin taper inside his lantern and let the end catch before withdrawing it. The lantern swung in the light wind from its hook on the iron stake. He risked it guttering and turned his wide frame to protect the burgeoning flame he held. Hugo touched the burning taper to his pipe and dragged at it with his lungs until the tamped tobacco was smouldering evenly. Shaking the taper, he turned and closed the lantern's door before hefting the stake out of the ground and extending the lantern out. Thus cheerfully set up, he proceeded carefully through the headstones and granite byres that gave the topography of the yard its mournful attitude. Over the last few years, the days had become stretched beyond the normal reckoning of daylight, and the streets of Paris echoed to the bloody sounds of rhetoric. The nights had been longer for Hugo, 
as his chosen profession demanded the clarity of night. The bishop had been one of the ones the mob carried off. It appeared that his immense personal wealth and proclivity for the children that sang beneath the cross had earned him enemies amongst the wolves of Robespierre. The day-to-day -day running of services had fallen to those junior priests that had yet to flee. Their days were filled now with the giving of the sacrament and the blessing of the dead. Those dead were then passed to Hugo, Sexton and Gravedigger. His back ached constantly from his labours, and when he removed his shirt to sleep, he could see that every scrap of fat had been flensed from his frame. Hugo reached the far end of the yard. Though there were many mounds of freshly dug earth there, there were no stone commemorations. For each, he had fashioned a crude cross from scraps of spare wood. Hugo felt no affinity for the symbol, but they served as useful markers for planning out his rapid digging. He had dragged the latest corpse out before his midnight meal, and still she lay in her shroud where he'd placed her. A fresh hole in the ground by her was his work as well, claimed by his trusty spade, which stuck up like a flagless pole from the disturbed dirt. Hugo took a pull from his pipe and held a mouthful of the smoke, letting it roll around his teeth. He knew well that the next day he would hear the trundle of the corpse cart rolling from the guillotine square and his work would begin again. It would go on until the yard was bereft of unoccupied plots. He wondered for a moment what would happen when there was no more room before deciding that that was the new priest's problem. As he tapped his pipe out and stabbed the lantern stake into the ground by the hole, he muttered to himself, To this question, answer, Gravemaker. Who makes houses that last till doomsday? Hugo chuckled to himself and hoisted the corpse of the woman. As he did so, the loosened shroud split and her severed head rolled from the package. Wigless, it thumped to the ground by his foot. He swore and pitched the main section of the corpse into the hole. He heard it thump heavily into the deep trench he had carved for it. Still swearing, with some of his words casting aspersions as to the parentage of the junior priest, he bent his creaking back to pick up the shaved head by the nose. As he did so, the dirty yellow of his lantern light glinted briefly for a moment at the base of her severed neck. Hugo turned the head in his hands and looked up into the exsanguinated mess of pipes that the executioner's lever had so ceremoniously severed earlier that day. Sure enough, the gleam of precious metal poked through the flesh. Hugo felt inside it for a moment and drew the metal out. Half a golden coin, stamped with half of an impression of the old king. It had been lodged in her throat when the blade fell, and as such, had split evenly into two pieces. Hugo bit it, then held the coin back up to the light. Sure enough, his ragged gnashes had left a groove in the metal. Hugo tilted his head to look down at the rest of the corpse he'd thrown in the hole. It was the work of a moment to jump down and examine the headless body. Sure enough, a glint of gold caused him to push his fingers into the neck hole. He retrieved the other half and leant against the walls of the grave for a moment. Hugo stared at the two halves and held them together, pure gold coins, minted in Louis' reign. The coinage was illegal, but the gold in them was the most valuable thing Hugo had ever held. He put the bisected coin into his trouser pocket and scrambled up from the grave. The world pitched and spun for him as the possibilities such wealth could bring flooded into his mind. Hugo realised he had been staring at his previous efforts, marked as they were by the pauper's wooden crosses. He could feel it all coming together in his mind 
and unbidden, he opened his mouth to speak. What is he that builds stronger than either the mason, the shipwright, or the carpenter? Why, the guillotine maker, for that frame outlives a thousand tenants. How many of the old elite had he buried recently? And if one had chosen to pay the ferryman in gold, why not the rest? With a burst of hope, Hugo snatched up his spade and made for the next most recent grave. With each slash of his spade, he arced a heap of the settling dirt over his shoulder. His skill, honed by years of righteous service, and his back, toughened to iron by constant exertion, made short work of the earth that covered the corpse. Hugo tore up the cloth shroud, scattering dirt over the face he revealed. This one was male, and Hugo roughly picked the head up and looked up into it, as a chimney sweep might survey a job ahead of them. This time there was no glint, but Hugo was undeterred and slipped his pocket knife from its sheath. It was the same tool which he had used to whittle the man's cross from. He split the man from the top of his decapitated neck, down to his navel, and began to dig through his innards. After a few minutes of stinking work, Hugo felt the welcoming touch of hard metal and withdrew his hand. In it was a viscera-smeared coin. It was unclipped, and he wiped it to reveal the king's head once more. Hugo stifled a shout of triumph and knew what had to follow. Grave after grave, corpse after corpse, hour after hour, Hugo disturbed what should have been a final resting place for those people that had thought they were better than commoners like him. He used the sack which he had stored his work repast to hold the jingling thick metal coins. The noise of them made his heart flutter. He was rich. As Hugo set about his grim work, the night died around him and was replaced by the grey dawn. His duties as bell ringer forgotten, he continued. So focused on his task was he, that he did not even notice when the priest discovered him and fled from the horror. He did not notice when, instead of a corpse cart, the gendarme wagon trundled to the churchyard. The first Hugo knew of it was when rough hands of seasoned thief-takers pulled him from his latest delve. The court's judgment was preordained, it seemed, and the mob that filled the benches bayed for his blood. Within the day, Hugo found himself in a small subterranean cell by the execution square. He could hear through his high window the whoosh of the falling blade and the delighted screams of the conceited and self-righteous crowd. Those that had arrested him had of course taken his bag of coins, and Hugo, his head still spinning from the speed of events, mourned their loss piteously. He slumped and sat on the damp stone floor. The previous occupant had emptied their bladder there, so as to not piss themselves for the amusement of the crowd. Hugo could not do the same, as his own courage had failed him in the docket at the court earlier. His pocket jingled as he sat, and he quickly withdrew the two halves of the gold which had begun this horror. From beyond his cell, he heard the jailer's keys rattle as they came for him. Hugo shook his head and shrugged, feeling the ennui settle upon him as his fate seemed sealed. He tilted his head back and dropped the gold into his mouth, and... With a wincing effort, he swallowed. I really dug that, man. Oh, wait, that's a horrible pun for that. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I uh, I really wanted him to get away with it. I, I absolutely love seeing that story framed around someone who is uh, like on the outside of the action. So, obviously, mm. you, you've got your revolution happening. You've got the... Uh, the bourgeoisie being decapitated and to to see this this man who lives 
on neither side really because you know a grave digger is the same for everyone everyone fits in a hole in the end it was really nice to get his perspective and then i felt sad when he got got taken even if he was you know digging up people and ripping coins out of them man's, <laughs> man's got to eat <laughs> them baguettes went by themselves i thought it was brilliant i thought it was very um very atmospheric like i d- i could see the whole thing uh taking place and yeah i wanted him to get away with it too <laughs> but, but i understand why he didn't yeah alas dragged into a, a guillotine unfortunately um i decided to sort of set it during the uh, the reign of terror which was the the first sort of few years of the the french republic um, yeah i think they killed something like i think it was just shy of about twenty thousand people got executed um which is a lot of people um, yeah, yeah that'd be a grim thing to bring up. How many heads can a guillotine do before you have to change the blade? <laughs> do you resharpen or do you change the? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, how sharp does it have to be? Like, it, it's it's a really heavy. Yeah, I guess it's blade weight, falling from it? a great height. It's like the claymore. Yeah, it's almost doesn't... like push. Yeah, it's just it's like just pushing the two bits of the body apart, really, rather than slicing. But I, I, <laughs> I guess. I guess it probably does have to be re- like relatively. It's got to have an edge, but I don't know how like keen the edge has to be to, to get the, get the job done. Yeah, it can't just be a paving slab. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that would probably achieve the same end end result of killing somebody, but uh, you know maybe not quite so clean and not quite such a spectacle. This sounds like a really bizarre episode of MythBusters now, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it depends who's next. Too like if you had Vin Diesel there, that's going to be a lot harder than you know like oh, someone yeah. who's really scrawny. Definitely, I mean the paving slab just wouldn't work against Vin Diesel, really, would it? It would just. I don't think anything would work against Vin Diesel. I can see straight that. Off his traps. That's definitely a plot point in an upcoming Fast and the Fury. He drives so fast in reverse that he goes back in time, and then he's too <laughs> muscular to go through the guillotine. Can't fit his head through it's, it. Yeah, it's coming. And then he fights off the entire crowd single-handed. Of course, of course, whilst doing donuts in in some kind of eighteenth uh, century horse and cart, <laughs> flying off the hooves. Yeah, I-, I would watch that. I would watch that. <laughs> We're just pitching shows left and right here, aren't we? Oh god, we are. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I also have. I have no idea whether any any of the French aristocracy did do that with the coins, uh, but it, it kind of made sense to me that they would take a bit of their wealth. Yeah. And try and I I really like the the old myth of the uh, paying the ferryman in silver. Yeah, yeah. Um, to get across the uh, the river Styx. So it was sort of a bit, bit of a blending of um, history and myth, really. Uh, but I had I had a lot of fun writing it because uh, grave diggers are amusing to write. Um, the the quotes that were from him did did you clock where they were from when when he was speaking? Hey. So they're they're from Hamlet, um, and uh, they're like slight rearrangements of um, what the what the grave diggers in Hamlet say when they're when they're like digging digging the graves for Ophelia and such. Oh man, oh, that's brilliant. Um, See, he's too clever by half. This one, <laughs> I, have to, I have to turn up every week and sound like a muppet. <laughs> you guys are amazing. I'm just like let's disembowel someone. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I, I I thought it was really weird. As I was reading it, I was like, "Oh wow, uh, Halo's just read a story that was about somebody getting cut up to get something out of him," <laughs> and and here I am describing a Frenchman in a, in a grave, 
cutting up an arist aristocrat's stomach. Like we, I think we'd hit a we certain like a touch. Sub theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sub theme. Where was the disembowelment in your story, Nick? It was a mental disembowelment. Mental disembowelment. Frequently. <laughs> well, I mean, I did talk about ripping someone's throat out. Oh uh, yeah. Okay, so there yeah. was some uh, yeah. some savagery. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it. I oh, I thoroughly enjoyed both of yours. It's been a lovely lovely time so far, but it's about to get either lovelier or incredibly painful for you, Halo. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> because we're going to move on to the interview bit. It's so threatening. It's so I, threatening. Listen, I think I'm still in the mode for my story. It's time to <laughs> move on to your interview, Halo. <laughs> so, if you could tell for me, what are you reading at the moment? Oh, God. Um, I'm actually, uh, I just uh, edited uh, a bunch for my uh, work in progress. So I kind of need to let my brain just chill for a little bit. I'm actually not reading anything at the moment. It sounds so Fair bad, enough. but I, you know. we we definitely don't whip ourselves for not reading the. Uh, I, I I had a very similar thing after um, after I did a I did a, a master's degree, and I basically didn't didn't read for pleasure for about a year after I finished that, because um, I felt like it just been burned out of me basically. To like detox after that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I totally understand, and um, I'm sure the uh, the work in progress is something that we're excited and looking forward to. Uh, but it's just development. <laughs> so you're not reading anything at the moment, which is fine. Uh, but what is the best book you've ever read? What's something that is just immediately springs to mind for you as your favorite book? Oh God, that's such a that's such a sadistic question. Um, I, I did say this was going to be unfair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can Can I mention a, f a few that were really formative? Yeah, um, of course. Because yeah, um, well, I I should say the the first book I read, I was nine. That kind of, um, I, I wouldn't say it's the best book I ever read, but it was definitely. Well, I shouldn't say it's like this is such a subjective thing, but um. It was the book that really got me into like the, the whole sci-fi fantasy kind of realm is um, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Um, and his work just, I loved how um, he kind of, you know, it, it's science fiction, but he's also kind of got this like flippant way of being like, it just, I don't know, we live on Mars because don't worry about the tech. And I liked that way of he didn't limit his stories by... Yeah. Um, I don't know, like reality, you know, and there's that fantastical edge. Um, oh God, that's a fairly chunky book to read at nine years old. It's well, I loved, I loved sci-fi, and my um, my parents were really into story. Like my mom read every book in the library when she was young, so they, oh. we were a bit nerdy, I guess you could say in that way. Um, that sounds pretty know, cool. It was, I don't know, he just, he really captivated me. And I, I mean, also, like, let me say, at nine, I definitely didn't get everything that was going on. I don't think yeah. you can get all of the layers, but, like, on, I think that's what's so great about it on, a, on the surface level. You know, you can read the book and enjoy it at nine, and then you read it, you know, later in life, and you're like, oh, I missed, like, everything, basically. But it's still, you can enjoy it at differently, um, different parts in your life. Um, I recently read recently maybe it was a year ago now but um this is how you i think uh, this is how you lose the time war and it was just so it's like 
don't know. It's an experience. It's one of those books that you're like, what the fuck did I just read? It was so good, but it's just very <laughs> surreal, you know? Um, and it's, you know, about this time where obviously and just the descriptions in that were superb. Um, God, I'm missing so many books. Uh, you know, you know what's the series that probably really, um, really inspired what I ended up writing later is um, The Red Rising. Well, I guess it's a saga now um, by Pierce Brown and just how horrifically violent and yet um, emotionally deep it is, you know? And I like how, mm. you know, you can have a lot of, you know, I mean, we, we all like massive battle scenes where everyone dies but i like oh, how yeah. you, Love i know right i mean we're talking about vin <laughs> diesel so, yeah. where everyone but vin diesel dies um but i like how he also included such an emotional heart and he really you know his characters are very gray and they're very like you know you kind of you root for them like half the time and you yell at them half the time but you you're invested and i i think that it was just a really great series to kind of see how you could have a character that half the time you want to hug and half the time you want to hit and still um, really enjoy. I really enjoyed that answer to the question. It, it really yeah. excellent that you took us through the formative books that led to you know what what you enjoy and how you write. That was really cool. Uh, but uh, Nick's going to upset that now with the next question. <laughs> I am. Prepare for the apple cart to be flipped. Is there? And you, there's no pressure to answer this apart from all of the pressure ever. Um, would you say that there is a worst book you've ever read? You know, as an author and having dealt with negative reviews, I I hate to, I, I always, you know, so like how I rate a book, for instance, is I, I think like, did the author accomplish what they wanted to write about? Not so much as did I like it, you know, because everything's yeah. so subjective. And like, I've seen so many people are like, you know, like for my book, they're like, it was dark. And I'm like, I have a fucking content warning. <laughs> it's right there. But um, <laughs> like, I'm like, no, when I say lots of murder, I mean, lots of murder. But um, it's... I, I don't know. I, I really don't want to. Yeah, I guess really, I, I. That really tickled me. <laughs> I've got a fucking content warning. <laughs> I know. I was like, seriously, like, what do you think it's going to be? Oh, yeah, no, I have to start acting bitchy or something so people think it's, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, You're no, you know. Nice for that so far. I know. Maybe You'll I never make it up. in this city, kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Like, someone was like, it, they said it was dark. I thought it was, you know, I wasn't prepared. And so then I started listing out exactly what I did just so people could see. But um, yeah, I, you know, there's never been a book. I don't think that like, like I obviously, like everyone doesn't like books, but there's never been a book that I've yeah. read that I've been like, oh, I don't like it. Like, like Nicholas Sparks is not the author for me, but he's the author for a lot of people. I would say like, you know, that's a style I don't enjoy, but I think yeah. that for his audience, he writes great books. So, like, I don't know. I, I that's that's a hard question to answer. Uh, we've actually got a bit of Pasco going there because um, in the first season, in the first episode, Nick asked me these questions, and my answer was a Nicholas Sparks book. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, and it was. But as we've had from several other guests, like sometimes it's quite difficult to remember the exact. You, you kind of put the bad ones out of your mind to a certain degree, don't you? Um, <laughs> you flush them out of your psyche. So I, I could not remember the name of it for the life of me. Um, but uh, so this is the second shot from the shotgun into Nicholas Sparks from the tiny bookcase now. 
I have nothing against Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> well, it's too late to say it now. He's just unsubscribed. <laughs> I think, well, you know, I have some friends who they tried to get me to read his books and they, he is very inspirational to them. But there's just, I don't know, it's just too... I don't do good with, I mean, I know there's some sadness, but like in general, they're happy. And I just, I don't know, I get very itchy around happiness. And I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's something wrong with me. It's nothing wrong with Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> I, you are right, though. It's extremely subjective. There are people, wrong yeah. people, definitely wrong people. who <laughs> don't wrong like, people. You know, they don't like the Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or... But, for, you know, for some people, fantasy doesn't tick a box or sci-fi exactly. doesn't or they don't want to read romantic novels. I don't think it's necessarily say, you know, what book? Maybe we should rephrase it when we ask in future to say, you know, mm. what book didn't work for you? What didn't you connect with? And and why as well? Like, yeah. it's, it's, you know, definitely. <laughs> because it's happy. <laughs> because it's happy is the answer. Why didn't here, you I like think? this? Stop fucking smiling at me. <laughs> <laughs> Stop enjoying life. What's wrong with you? So let's uh, let's flip it back around to the positive. Um, I, I like this question a lot. It's um, it's very simple, but possibly almost as bad as the the second question, which is, what's your favourite literary character? What's your favourite character from fiction? Oh God, um, these are okay. Well, you know, let me think about like well, I don't want to say my serious answer, but I had a dream that I was Vin Diesel. Let me say that's one of the highlights of my life. So like, if I know he's not a literary character, he's an actual. <laughs> dude there, there but must, there must be some fan fiction out there for you to claim that he's a literary exactly. he, he just i don't know i i've always just had a soft spot for him and he could literally could do anything in a movie and i just i don't know he's like i want to be him you know he's just got this like his voice oh my god if i could have read my story with his voice like i just you know that's if he could narrate like audiobooks that's that's all i need in my life that would, that would be intense i i i understand that he does um i don't know if you, you, you do any tabletop uh like role-playing but my understanding is that he's really into uh, Dungeons and Dragons. He and is. I, I can only assume that those sessions are fucking amazing. <laughs> he just always wins. Everyone yes, leaves the campaign. <laughs> There's a little fun fact. He's got a load of, uh, a lot of tattoos on his body. And there was all this talk about, you know, oh, what does this big tattoo say that's on his chest? And it's the name of the character he's been playing in D&D for nearly 30 years. Oh my god, I'm just... See, this isn't doing anything good for my Vin Diesel obsession. <laughs> but yeah, there are loads of people in the Fast and the Furious fandom being like, oh, what does it mean? Is there a deeper meaning? No, it's a real tattoo, and it's the name of his... I don't know, Elf or whatever he plays. I don't actually know. But uh, what a man. For like 30 years. That's you know, see, well, yeah, I know he's not like a literary character, but he's just... He's a presence, and I think that, you know... I'm a huge fan of everything he's been in. So, so I'm, Vin I'm, of Diesel. I, I'm, so Vin I'm, Diesel. I'm entirely willing to accept Vin Diesel as your answer to that question. That's fine. <laughs> oh, you know what? So, in terms of an actual, an actual <laughs> fictional character, I would say uh, Darth Vader. I, Darth I Vader. love his. I love his arc. I like how he was Anakin, and I think he was one of the first characters. I think he's so multifaceted you know like you kind of meet him and he's just you know killing people left and right which i mean everyone has a bad day so whatever and then <laughs> but you go back in his life and then you see how all of these um kind of circumstantial traumas affected him and i just thought that you know i don't know he's great so you know in terms of an actual fictional character i'd say darth vader he's definitely a character that if you go into the the comics and some of the expanded novels has so much to him 
Oh my god, yeah. I, uh, I'm going to suggest to everyone out there, I can't remember what the actual comic run's called, but there's a Boba Fett run that ends on Mustafar with Boba Fett and Darth Vader fighting over a box, and <laughs> it is the most metal thing I've ever read in a comic. <laughs> That's amazing. Imagine if Vin Diesel was there. <laughs> Just He was well, the volcano. Well, yeah, he, was, he, was, <laughs> he was driving down the side of the volcano with a V12 engine in front of him. <laughs> they're like this isn't even from the universe but we're just gonna let it go <laughs> so we're already spitballing the greatest story ever told obviously obviously but normally halo what is your writing process oh god um so i, I work full-time during the day <clears throat> so usually like it, my how how much time i have write and when I can write changes but generally what I try to do is write on lunch if I can kind of take a lunch break and then write at night um and then kind of I don't know you know how it's like random periods through the day where you're like ooh, bright shiny idea and then kind mm. of write it down um yeah I mean there's there's not so much of a process now just basically whenever I can squeeze it in I guess <laughs> so we've, we've had people um, declare themselves either plotters or pantsers um so far this season and it, would it be fair to say that you lean more towards just writing whatever cool ideas come into your head and then letting the books flow you know so i i used to definitely be uh fly by the seat of your pants type um but then i i realized that like you know it it was super character driven which is great but there was just so there's just no plot at all like there's no purpose I guess it wasn't even so much that there needed to be a plot so then I tried to outline more and I realized I hate outlining um so I've tried to kind of make this hybrid approach where I'm like I need to know what's what's the what's the message that I want to kind of I don't know what's it not to sound too academic but um like what's the theme you know that you want to explore and what's the ending like what am I driving toward and then whatever the fuck happens along the way just can happen <laughs> And I kind of yeah. let the characters do whatever they want as long as they... It's like, you know, meet at this diner at 5pm and however the fuck you get there, you get there. That sounds really similar to... I, I once um, uh, Alan Moore put out a book about how he writes and he, he omitted all the drugs that he does, but um, <laughs> he, he, he basically described a very similar process where he, he has to know what the meaning is behind what, what a character's doing, what, what's happening in the story and it all comes from the like this uh the second layer of meaning and then somewhere along the way the story ends for him uh but it sounds like you've you've got a more solid idea of the ending uh, possibly it's because more... you've spent less time in a basement smoking weed <laughs> i mean like if i know the character's motivations i think that's that's what matters the most and i think that that kind of determines the plot for me um but I mean, everything could change. I, I think that's what's nice. You know, if you want to randomly explode a city, then just do it. Fictionally. You <laughs> <laughs> should have that on a shirt, I think. If you want to just explode a city. <laughs> just fucking do it. it. <laughs> I think that's uh, it's yeah. a great approach to to have the bravery to take that, to say, hey, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this world or this character. Or <laughs> I think a lot of people are afraid to do it, and it is to their detriment some of the times <laughs> oh can i quick aside because i have to i have to plug this show because you what you just said uh, made me think of it there's a there's a movie it's a b movie i i don't know if it's actually on any streaming service or if it exists or it's been wiped from existence now but it was called annihilation earth 
And what I loved about the movie, it doesn't give anything away, like it's, it's called Annihilation Earth, but you always think like, you know, they go through and they're like, how are they going to save Earth? And they don't. It fucking explodes <laughs> and then it cuts. And it was amazing. So I was like, yes, someone fucking exploded Earth. And that's the end of the story. Oh, these are my people. Right? I was like, thank God, that's awesome. No, because no one does it. It's always like some last minute Hail Mary that they're like, oh, thank God we got the code in the last two seconds. Yeah. And this show's like, nope, y'all fucked up. Humanity's dead. <laughs> Zero Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> so, sorry, complete tangent, but I just, I need to plug it because it was just so satisfying. And they're like, yes, you messed up. And now here are the consequences. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this leads us pretty well into our next question, which is. Uh, talking about uh, adaptations of books. Um, so if you could adapt any book into another medium, what which book would it be? And to what medium and why? Oh, I would have to say Red Rising, the whole uh, saga. It, it would be, I, I feel like it has to be um, a television show because it's just so expansive. Um, that would just be completely epic. And it would just, yeah, the gore, the, the heart, the beating hearts severed from bodies and yeah that would be awesome anyone that immediately oh go on yeah, no, you're gonna no, ask the same thing exactly the same thing go on you go same question uh i might leave that in just for funsies <laughs> uh is there anyone that immediately jumps to mind that you'd want to see in that apart you know, from vin diesel and mads mickelson but uh, obviously obviously <laughs> they need to be in it. um you know i always love when um like newcomers, I don't know, newcomers out of, I mean, this is going to sound like really specific and weird, but like, I don't know, like um, there are a lot of uh, acting schools around London that I've seen a lot of actors that emerge from any yeah. of those schools that then like they're relatively unknown and then they go into a show and just, I don't know, the the quality of the acting education I've seen emerge from, I can't remember schools off the top of my head, but like someone from that kind like of- Like RADA, Lambda, Mountview, those kinds of places. Exactly, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yes, exactly. Like, and I, I think it is Lambda. Um, it was just, yeah, no, I, I, there's like a show HBO Rome and like, I didn't realize it, but like all of the actors basically kind of graduated from one of their, and just the, the, I don't know, acting was so just, oh, it was so delicious. And I think anyone that's kind of graduating from there with that education, but who isn't well known yet, I don't know, it'd be nice to give someone a chance, but also kind of draw on that, I don't know, that legacy education, you know? That's very cool. Rome is actually one of my favorite shows of all time. I think we've, we've, clearly, ah! we've, Sorry, that's... we've, we've, clearly, we've clearly got a really similar taste in uh, TV here because you've got Black Vin Sales Diesel and Rome. And Am Diesel, I getting ousted? Is this what's happening? Yeah, we've got a new, <laughs> new here. Did you see Vikings? Uh, I did indeed see Vikings, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically the same. Yeah. Um, did you, so I was going to um, just mention the, uh, all, unfortunately those actors got a bit shafted, didn't they? Because the the show was was cancelled after two seasons. Um, yeah, I would have loved to see. It. Well, you know, they they did a good job wrapping it up. Not to spoil it for anyone yeah. else, but um, they basically squeezed oh. three seasons into one, didn't they? Exactly. Yeah. Like and now, Octavius is like seventy years older. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was like you like you were saying earlier. They were just like, now he's older. Get get used to it. Time is exactly. passed. Come on. <laughs> the uh, actor did a really good job. Those like, coming into that role. Yeah, um, but the the reason, my understanding of the reason for why that happened is because they were hoarding the funding to start Game of Thrones. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess. That, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of um, actors that were in Rome refused to be in Game of Thrones because of that. Oh man. Yeah. 
And they're such good actors too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was so many sort of fantasy castings for Game of Thrones that involved a lot of the actors from from Rome because they're they're just great, a bunch of really excellent people, good at their craft. Oh, I like I like that answer. Um, this one is um, pretty tough. Do you want to do you want to phrase it, Nick? Go on, I'll I'll take it in a in a sad direction. So. In fact, we had this conversation. It's been very different, actually, as we've come through the season. But do you connect emotionally when you're reading? And is it enough to to bring you to tears, to to really affect you? And if so, when was the last time it happened? You know, I'm trying to remember... I don't know, this is going to make me sound like a cold-hearted bitch, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I do, I do cry at, at shows. It's, it, I don't know. It, I, so I'm, I'm a very visual person. I think I tend to cry more at like TV or movies um, and in books kind of feel more of this like you know, emotional gravitas of um, what I'm feeling. I'm trying to think of, I don't know if, God, I don't know if a book made me cry. You, I think you'd actually be surprised how how common that answer is. I, I think uh, yeah. so far we've had a lot of guests say that whilst they'll cry completely readily to music, TV shows, uh, movies, um, there's something about the the process of reading that doesn't you know it doesn't quite connect the tear ducts in the same way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more of this. You're in this um, different like headspace, you know, and you I think you feel it almost more. But there's like more of a visceral uh, visceral reaction if you're actually seeing someone like die on screen or going through something. Like I'll fully admit that I uh, you know cried during Titanic. I mean you know <laughs> who hasn't? But um, yeah, no. I mean in terms of other things, uh, I don't think I have actually. Yeah, no. After we're done, I'll probably remember a book. But yeah, no, I don't <laughs> tend to. That's don't worry, I'll it? just I'm gonna put a tick in the box next to cold hearted bitch. There we go. <laughs> cold hearted bitch, psychopathic. There we go. <laughs> really, we shouldn't hold it against her because there was a fucking content warning. <laughs> there was yeah, there was a fucking content warning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, I, I tend to watch things with Vin Diesel. No, you know what? Oh, that's the end of uh the one where um who's the guy who plays? Oh my god. Oh, uh, uh, Paul, Paul Walker something. passed. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. And when uh, see see you see you again. Oh God, I'm I'm completely mm. messing this up. But yeah, no, that I was just like, <laughs> but um, mm. yeah, no. In general, I I mean, I tend to watch things where just shit blows up, and so. Yeah. How about uh, the uh, Gandalf and Casa Doom in Lord of the Rings? How about that? Does that get you? Okay, so please please don't hate me, but oh. I'm not actually the biggest Lord of the Rings fan. That's okay. That's Where's the disconnect button? Where I'm, that <laughs> I'm, gonna I'm sort be... of holding Nick back at the moment. Just, I would never. I'm having too much fun. I, I completely. I, you know, I respect it, and I think it is a brilliant series that paved the way for so much. And it's such a, I don't know, such a foundational series for most yeah. of sci-fi and fantasy today. I just, it's, it's like I said, it's really me. It's nothing in the series. I just the pacing. I think I just got a little bit bored and you know what it might be too. So much has spawned because of it that you're used mm. to it now. Whereas I think if you had yeah. read it years ago and you didn't know about, I don't know, elves and shit that it would be so, uh, so yeah. novel, you know, and, yeah. but just for me, I don't know. 
and I also had, I don't know, I, I had friends who shoved like Lord of the Rings and Nicholas Sparks down my throat. So I just, I think I got just, you know, a visceral response against it, which like I said, it's, it's me. It's not the series. There's actually nothing worse than being force fed the Silmarillion at a young age. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the worst things you can do to a burgeoning reader, I, I feel. Like it, it's horrendous. Like, cause it, that happened to me and I bounced off it must've been five or six times as a teenager um and then i i happened i happened to just decide that i was going to read it properly in my sort of uh, early 20s and loved it but that was because that was the right time to read uh, a fictional history of a of a fictional you know yeah, it, yeah. It, it, you don't you don't give that to a kid um i think but, with well, you know with not you know understanding its heritage but not being super into it i do also think it's a bit like do you know the fruit durian it's really big in Japan, and it stinks. Apparently, apparently, it smells like ammonia and a corpse all wrapped in an old doll, <laughs> right? But it's delicious. And if you grew up there, you're just so used to it, it's fine because you've always had it. And I think that a lot of us, we we skip over the bits of the Lord of the Rings that are a bit of a, a faceful and make mm. it quite slow because you know we've always been eating it. So I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, not loving it. Meal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I don't hate it by any means. It just, it wasn't um, so much for me. And yet at the same time, I, I like how it paved the road. I think before it's so, I mean, it's kind of that upmarket genre of, you know, that mix of literary and commercial. And I think before it, we didn't have so much in that realm so i think it's it's wonderful you know <laughs> all the people who like lord of the rings and nicholas sparks are now gonna come after me <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have the barricades ready uh <laughs> i'll get vin diesel on my side <laughs> lame miss yeah, we'll, get, we'll get russell crowe singing stars out of tune and awfully please never never that <laughs> don't threaten me with that oh, God. <laughs> So this next one is actually Nick's favorite question. But I'm going to steal it and ask it instead. La gasp. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was still in France. <laughs> um, what is, well, can you give us one fact about your life which is totally uninteresting? Oh, my whole life is very uninteresting. Um, let me see. Uh I think I I mean I you know what I still eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And is that boring. is that a sort of a childhood memory happy comfort food? No, you know what? I hated them as a child. Um and I don't know why. Like over the last it's really been since lockdown. I think I just got lazy and I was like and I hate cooking, I hate doing anything domestic. So I was like, what you know? what can I do that takes me two seconds to make? And I just yeah. started making peanut butter and jelly. And yeah, so that is the complete boring. I know so when, it's... <laughs> when you started eating them again, did you have the initial reaction of, oh, I just, I don't enjoy this. And you forced yourself into a position where you liked them. <laughs> yes, actually. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> I know. I was like, I, I made one because I was like, I think I had a meeting and I, I had like a few minutes to get lunch. And I was like, I, I hate peanut butter and jelly, but that's all I have. So I made one and I was eating it. I'm like, I remember why I don't like it. No. Um, and now I just like semi like it because I've made myself like it. At risk of sounding like a contrarian, couldn't you have just not put one of the things in and had a sandwich <laughs> that you might like? 
But then it wouldn't have been a PB and J, though, Nick. Yeah. It, it I... could have been a PB or a J. <laughs> like, peanut butter alone is just, I don't know, it feels so, I don't know, sticky and just hard. I don't know. And then jelly, just, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm a bit of a masochist. I was just like, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do this and punish myself. <laughs> you also put normal butter in there. You, yeah, yeah. Well, is yeah. so is PBJ a thing in the UK? So or I, I've we, heard it's not so we, much. We call it jam rather than jelly, but yes, I, 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 I ate them as a kid, and I still really like them. We definitely uh, got them from jelly. the states, though. Uh, jelly is what you would call Jello. It's like oh, the, okay, the, the okay. wobbly, translucent, coloured stuff. Oh, like the gelatin. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, you know what I love? This is so, ooh, this is another boring fact. Um, when I lived in Scotland, <laughs> I discovered Weetabix. And mm. I don't know why, but I just, those were, oh, I, I liked them for some reason. But like, I didn't know why I liked them. So I was like, I would always eat them kind of with confusion. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're I'm really good. Weetabix advocate. I'm with you. I love them. And you're also not the first guest to bring them up. Well, how this is the Vin Diesel and Weetabix season? What, what the hell is going on? I feel I like it. there's an underground that loves Weetabix, but no one like wants to mention them. So like you the have whole, to kind of yeah, the whole world is just sat there eating Weetabix and watching Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> they, they did an absolutely mental social media campaign recently, right? Like completely off the wall, where they teamed up with Heinz baked beans and were insisting that you could eat beans on Weetabix. <laughs> no, and no. I felt used. Yeah, just awful. Felt... Just, uh... Insulted. It's not the the worst social media campaign of recent times. However, that was Burger King on International Women's Day. Congratulations! You dropped the ball so hard that it went all the way through and landed on your head. Oh it was oh. what happened. So it, it was it was a real saga, and it was incredible to watch it unfold because somebody just completely screwed the pooch. So their intention was the full statement is that everyone should have equal footing across the business. The the kitchens of the industry are mostly male dominated and we want women to be just as involved. What they tweeted was women belong in the kitchen. <laughs> it End was so, of tweet. It was, so, it was so aggressively bad. Oh my god! Did anyone read it? Oh yeah, oh, everyone yeah. read it. <laughs> I remember watching the the retweets and uh, angry comments just flooding in by the hundreds oh within a few minutes of them posting it. So they uh, they did nuts. quickly do a follow up tweet, didn't they? they? Said if they want to be, we want more people to. Nah, man, you you absolutely fucked yourself there. <laughs> Take the crown off. Now you are just a burger. Just... You're the burger peasant. <laughs> I don't want to work for that company anymore, and they put that tweet out. I think is what happened there. I think. Oh, uh, oh well, this is. I'm having too much fun. I'm going to have to re-rail us because I did derail us. Um, oh no, I'm enjoying. <laughs> so, it came up a little bit before. What have you got upcoming? What are you working on? Um, I'm working on querying, which is so much fun. <laughs> But yeah, no, and I, I kind of have this idea that's starting to form in my head, but there's not enough murder yet, so I'm going to let it kind of fester a bit. Um, <laughs> it needs to be before you put pen to paper. Yeah, no, well, you know, it's funny. I used to write actually much calmer stuff, um, and it didn't really, I don't know, like, um, oh, God, who said it recently? I heard someone say, like, you have to find your kind of um, 
like where you belong in the literary world and where you're comfortable. And I think that means writing in a bunch of different genres. And like I wrote um, very kind of honestly lighthearted, um, I don't know, fantasy where everyone was happy and just they were like living in utopias, which is not <laughs> what I write now. Um, but I realized that just wasn't me. So this kind of idea is a bit it's not happy but it's not fully fleshed out yet so I'm gonna let kind of simmer a bit but yeah I'm, I'm in between projects at the moment it's working and querying and um trying not to lose my mind while doing so <laughs> and okay. generally um we're we're really we're really keen to um for the like the writing community to be able to like uh hear what what you've done so far and other things that you'd like to plug so is there anything that you'd like to talk about sure um let me let me get my list. <laughs> no, not that it's like an hour long. I'm like, now that you've given me the stage. Yeah. Um, uh, well, so I wrote The Rift Cycle, and the first book is a dollar because I realized, like I said, there's a fucking content warning. Um, it's very dark, and it won't be for anyone, um, for everyone. It won't be for anyone. It won't be for anyone. <laughs> Freudian slip. Is that um, what it says in the, uh, the content warning? Warning, this book is not for anyone. <laughs> don't read it um it is it is very dark there's there's murder there's rape there's abuse there's mental illness there's a bunch of stuff like that so if you have morals uh just don't read it <laughs> um if you are sensitive you know don't read it it there is you know a story and characters beneath that but it is very uh very gruesome um yeah first book's one dollar so you can kind of taste the the dark waters if that makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds like yeah um but um and then i'm also part of queer indie which is this writing um collective uh writers mm-hmm. alliance that promotes both queer and ally writers because um part of what's wonderful about the writing community is i think you just meet so many different people and um i'm all about like you know i'm queer and i know a bunch of queer people but i think that you know sometimes obviously not everyone but it can be a bit exclusionary and allies are obviously a huge part of that too and i'm always like you know support the people who support you so we like to just make it one big happy family um in terms of other podcasts to listen to uh the writing show uh, at writing underscore show is fantastic it's run by um, actually two other british people um in uh excuse me the uk chris hooley and chris agate and they um, just produce awesome shows on YouTube and uh, I think everywhere there's podcasts. And then uh, the last one is Storytell Pod at Storytell Pod, and that's run by Connor Braden. Um, and he does a fantastic job on YouTube too. So all of these kind of groups are um, made for, I guess, helping promote indie authors, promote um, established authors, pr- promote everyone, basically. Excellent. We all rise. <laughs> The ultimate <laughs> spreading of love. I know. <laughs> Just a marketing orgy, basically. <laughs> I'm going to cut out the word marketing. When I, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I Definitely. know, before I'm like, can I say fuck? How often can I say fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you've been, you've been absolutely phenomenal, uh, Halo. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. But where can people find you on social media and on the web and all that kind of thing? Thank you guys so much for having me. You have been awesome. I've greatly enjoyed the Vin Diesel talk, especially. Um, <laughs> uh, everything everything about me is on halo.scott.com. Uh, there's one T in Scott, so yeah. Otherwise, Halo is just Halo. Stunning stuff. Well, thank you again. Thank you for joining you us, Halo. Thank you for the disembowelments. <laughs>
Nothing's more important than family. <laughs> <laughs> Please keep that in there. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on your chosen service so that you don't miss out on future episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, where you can talk to us directly and even suggest prompts for upcoming stories. If you're not a tweeter, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Just search for The Tiny Bookcase. Now, if you want to support the podcast, and we'd really appreciate it if you did, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash the tiny bookcase. And then you can be just as special as these story seekers. Do we thank them? I think so. Well, then it's a huge thank you to the legendary Matthew McLaren and the absolutely epic Scott Byrne for their support. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> Make it slimy. Make it slimy, Nick.